0: We've got two different services, and so sometimes things happen first, Uh, so I just wanted to share a couple of things with you, just some really cool stuff that uh, is fair for us to celebrate, right? Uh, If God's people uh, um, don't know how to party, then nobody should know how to party. So uh, we want to celebrate, Um, a couple of things, Uh, two weeks ago was Easter, and uh, we we had um, the biggest turnout. TLC, we've ever had. Uh, First time we ever broke uh, over 500 people, we had 519 people over here. Um, That's amazing. Um, Yeah, that's (laughs) what we got. But but let me say this though, okay, because one of our values is helping things grow, all right? And usually, uh, we assume that the key word there is growth, right? The word church is about growth, and we want to try to make it bigger and bigger and bigger. But that's not it at all. Healthy things grow, the key word in in that is uh, health. And so we want to pursue health as a church. Uh, That's why we've actually got a spiritual formation experience happening right now uh, just down the hall at Austin. Because we actually know that if we can pursue health together, uh, that growth follows that. That's what Jesus said in John 15, like stay connected to me, stay uh, attached to the mind. And that's how fruit actually grows. So while I'm excited about the fact that we're growing, I'm more excited about the fact that I think that there's real health that's happening here. And uh, uh, we're not a church that's like super excited. Um, I mean, we we can clap, you know, like, hey, we have more than 500, awesome, that's great, that's cool. Uh, But the only reason that we even count is because um, every number represents an actual living, breathing person that matters to God. And if they matter to God, they need to matter to us as well. Uh, But we're not just trying to get people to show up, right? Another one of our values is owners, not renters. Which means, uh, quite flatly, um, we don't want spiritual spectators. So if you're part of this church, if you're gonna call TLC home, we want you to own it, all right? Uh, If you're just simply looking for a place that you can come, uh, sit down where nobody's gonna notice you, uh, drink some coffee, eat some bagels, uh, listen to a message, uh, and then bust out of here, We're not for you. Or at least we're not going to be a super comfortable place for you to stay there. And it's not because I don't love you. It's actually because I do love you. All right? I don't want you to just simply get complacent and think that church is just about serving you and you getting what you need. Look, if you got hurt someplace and you need a place to heal for a little bit, awesome. Come, hang for a little while. Great place to do that. We honor that. We love that. We're happy. But if you go to the hospital, right, because you've got a bum knee and they do a knee replacement, Guess what they're going to have you doing the next day? You're going to have your butt up walking around, right? Because they know if you just sit in bed the next nine months, you're actually going to be in worse shape than when you came in. Same thing's true, church. Like, we want that. We desire that. Uh, I talked about healthy things growing. Uh, One of the ways that we recognize health is when God is moving among us, right? That's one of our other values. All in wonder. We expect to experience the power and presence of Christ when we gather together. You guys are here right now. You're not here to hear me. You're not here to experience uh, some great singing. You're here to experience the power and presence of risen Christ. And I promise you, he's here right now. If you're willing to open yourself up and listen, I promise you, God wants to speak to you. One of the ways we can tell when God's speaking is when he's changing people's lives. So two weeks ago, on Easter, uh, we presented the gospel. We're like, look, Jesus rose from the grave. It's legit. It's real. Here's how I know. It's because he's transforming my life. And I also shared the story of my boy, Drew, all right, who a year ago on Easter said, all right, if God can do that in Mark's life, maybe he can do that in my life. And about a month later, he gave his life to Jesus, and Drew got up here and shared how his life has just been flipped, turned upside down. He's not even from Philadelphia. (laughs) All right? Jesus changes people's lives. And that morning we had eight people between the two services uh, that prayed to receive Christ. Said, so I want that. I want to do uh, Last week uh, we talked about what happens uh, when we blow it. How do we recover from failure? It was the first uh, a message in our moments that made us series, and I got to share Celia's story. Uh, of what happened in her life when she got up here, and she shared what Jesus has done, the transformation that's take, taken place over the last couple of years. And we had three ladies, uh, one in the first and two in the second, that came down with tears in their eyes and said, that's, that's me. I, I wanna choose Jesus, I don't wanna keep running in shame, I wanna, I wanna reach out to Jesus when he calls my name, he's calling me today, and they gave their lives to Jesus just last week, standing right over here, praying some of the most beautiful, heartfelt prayers you've ever heard, I loved it, it was amazing. God's working, God's working, and that's what we desire more than anything else. Uh, I pray this almost every single week. Um, God, uh, I'm asking you to move uh, through the message that you give me, uh, even if I have to suffer. Um, If I have to choose, I'd rather be terrible and you do something with it, and then I always pray, But if you can make it good and do something like that, it would really be my preference. But if I have to choose, and that's my prayer for you today, I'm preaching a message uh, that's called Change is Possible. Um, Quite honestly, uh, I really think the question we often ask ourselves is, is change possible? Because we see it in other people's lives, right? Drew talked about what Jesus had done in his life in the last year. And it's undeniable, unmistakable. Anybody that's been around him knows, Whoa, there's something different about that cat. Same thing with Celia. If you didn't know Celia five years ago versus today, you're like, man, like, it's transformation, right? But sometimes we ask ourselves, yeah, but can God change me? Can God change me? Uh, When I was in middle school, I had a lot of bad habits. All right? Uh, I know because this is the diary, yeah, not a journal, a diary, all right, that my mom gave me when I was in fifth grade, I think, I uh, think there's a picture uh, of it up there. Look at that thing, amazing, right? I wrote my name on it three different times. That's when I was calling, everybody called me Tori, T-O-R-R-E. Don't call me Tori. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, this is uh, my Everything Happens to Me diary. Uh, I happen to have, uh, Not there's not much in here. <laughs> I, did not, I was not very good at writing my diary, but uh, in 1988, as an eighth grader, um, I, must have been very, very angry with my father. And so I I had this particular um, diary entry on March the 16th. Uh, I can't read it to you um, because it has four sentences, four very short sentences, Uh, and within those four sentences there are eight swear words. Um, So that averages out to two per sentence, okay? pretty impressive, but uh, that's not the most impressive part. The most impressive is that the last sentence, which literally only has six words in it, uh, starts off with the first two, he's a, and then the next four are all swear words. So like, I was able to get four swear words into a six swear word sentence, um, which I almost find impressive. Um, No, I'm not laughing at the fact that uh, I like to swear a lot, but that was a reality in my life. Now, I was a church kid. Uh, I went to church um, grew up going to church but I didn't care about Jesus when I was in middle school just not at all uh, quite honestly uh, if you saw me at church and hung out with me a little bit, you'd have even seen that definitely when I was at school you see, it wasn't until I was uh, a junior, or excuse me, a sophomore in high school middle of my sophomore year that God really captured my heart I did the religious thing, I was pretty good at it I could have told you a lot of the stories, but I didn't know Jesus I certainly wasn't following Jesus. And Jesus captured me. He just captured my heart. All right? Uh, Now, I kind of realized, all right, if I'm going to call myself a follower of Jesus, and I'm going to, like, tell people that, like, I probably shouldn't swear, you know, twice in every sentence, okay? Like, that probably ought to change a little bit in my life. Now, there were other things, though, that I had uh, when I was a middle schooler that were other bad habits, Well, I was incredibly selfish, now when I got serious about my faith in Jesus when he captured my heart, uh, there were some things that were obvious, like, okay, he's swearing, that's pretty obvious. The selfishness stuff, I didn't always see, I didn't always get. But when I got serious about my faith, I was like, well, I should probably stop swearing. And so I did. It took me like a week, maybe two weeks. You know, maybe a little slip here, a little slip there in that first few days, but literally it was like done, it's just not a problem for me anymore. Uh, selfishness, same thing. Completely, no more self. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> I've been working on that one for thirty years, and sometimes I ask myself the question: Can I change? Is is change possible for me? And that's just one of the weaknesses, downfalls, sins that I have that I want to see changed. And I think it's a legit question that many of us ask, especially often the longer that we've been trying to follow Christ. Can I change? It, 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 is, it, is it possible? Uh, I think I've shared this story before, but it helps me illustrate. I think a little bit of what we deal with. When I was in college, I worked at a camp called Lake Inn Camps up in Traverse City, and uh, they had a, a low dive and a high dive for kids to go off. It was like a blob. It was just a you know like a fun thing to do. And when the kids would go away for uh, the weekend because uh, they were there like Monday to Saturday morning. Saturday afternoon after the cab was clean, Sunday we could go and we could like play and do our own stuff and all the counselors. So I had a buddy there, his name was Matt, and Matt was like really good at doing tricks off the diving board. And I could do a couple of things, uh, but Matt could do some stuff that I couldn't do. And I can remember the first time that I saw him do this, I uh, was on the low dive and he did a gainer, all right? You know what a gainer is? All right, a gainer is when you run, you jump, and instead of like flipping forward, you jump, you go forward, but you flip backwards. Okay? And Matt did it. And uh, all the ladies were like, oh, Matt, that is really cool. Do it again. I was like, oh, I didn't learn how to do <laughs> So I was like, all right, so I'm going to be like Matt, what do you do? he's like, well, you do a jump and throw your legs up. I'm like, all right, do it. So I remember I went out there, I jumped. Boom! Yeah, I was like, Whoa. boom, Smack the water. But I was like, well, man, I think I can do it. I got kind of around second time. I made it like three quarters, uh, third time, almost made it all the way around fourth time. I did a gainer. And ever since then, you give me a nice little springboard, I can do a gainer. Now, I will say, caveat, I haven't done it in probably like several years, so I think I probably could, but like, I can do it. And from that time on, it wasn't a big of a deal. Uh, Matt and I used to like to do uh, trick dives off the high dive as well. And so um, we would do a truss fall off the high dive, which literally you just go board straight and you just fall. And if you don't freak out, you'll actually do a perfect back dive. Uh, we could do a gainer off there. We could do a flip. We could even do a one and a half. That's where you flip and then you dive into the water. And Matt and I said, hey, I thought we could do a two and a half. Yeah, he's like, you do it first, and I'll do it. <laughs> so he did. He went up on the high dive, he ran, he jumped, he flipped, tucked tight one time, two times, and Matt had not jumped high enough, he had just jumped out, and so he was not going to make the half rotation. And he knew it. So he tried to stay tucked, and as his face is coming to the water, he turned his face to the side and he hit right there. And uh, we found out later that night uh, when he still couldn't hear and we had to go see the nurse that he blew his eardrum. And that's how hard he did. Well, Matt had gone, and I promised that if he tried it, I would try it. And I said to myself, hey, Matt can do a, a 1.5 pretty good, but I can do a, a 1.5 a little bit better. And I'm thinking, he almost got to 2.5, so I'm going to probably get to 2.5. Like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. I just need to jump a little bit higher, spin a little faster. So I get up there. I go out. Boom, jump, tuck tight. One time, two times, I'm coming up to the part where you're supposed to open up to dive in, and I realized I have opened up too soon. And when you open up, that actually slows your rotation considerably. And so what happened is instead of opening up right here to dive in, I opened up right here. And then I saw all this the whole way, but i was not smart enough to turn my head to the side. No, take it like a man, they said, so I did. And then that water smacked me, so literally I almost knocked myself out, no joke. I came down to the water, I came up, it was like a TV that had like all static, it was like shh, shh, shh. it was like a little line of sight, and I slowly came back. I woke up the next day, and my entire face had little red dots, I had busted blood vessels all over my face. No, it's not that funny, my goodness, like, you see, swearing for me was like the game, right? I, I, God helped me to whip that one pretty easily, pretty quickly. And it's just not that big of a deal. Uh, there's other things like selfishness, like loss, like other pieces of myself that, that I'm embarrassed about, right? That, that feel like the two of I still haven't mastered it, and uh, and I know I need to. I'm guessing you probably felt this way as well. In fact, um, there's somebody in Scripture that that feels this way. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open up to Romans chapter 7. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand we have got folks. We're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture this morning, more than I normally do, to be honest. Uh, Usually, I'll have a smaller portion of Scripture, and we'll kind of walk through it, and I'll unpack it, and talk about what it means, and... Uh, what the original audience would have been understanding, and how we kind of bridge it into our day and culture, like how do we apply it today, and uh, we're going to do that a little bit as well with this, but I really want the scripture to really kind of be our major teacher this morning, and so we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture, so it's going to be possible that you're going to want to start to let your mind drift, read along, jot down notes, underline things. Romans chapter 7, see if this sounds like you ever at all. This is the Apostle Paul, starting in verse 15. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good as it is. It is no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin that in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do with the evil. I do not want to do this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who's going to rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Do you ever feel that way? Thank you. Amen. Me too. I do. Uh, theologians debate of whether Paul was writing this, talking about his life before he became a follower of Jesus. Some think that's what he's talking about. Others think that he's talking about it afterwards. Uh, I don't really care. I mean, I do, but it doesn't matter for right now. The truth is, is that every single one of us even those of us that are following Jesus, we feel this way. <laughs> I don't want to do that, but I keep finding myself doing the thing that I want to do. I, I, I'm not able to do it. I keep doing other things that I don't want to do, and the do's and the don'ts, and the Like it just, and it's frustrating. And we feel like Paul, like, who's gonna rest? Like, why? Where, why am I not able to be the person that I want to be? Is it possible to change? Can I actually change? And it's a fair question. But uh, thankfully for us, Paul is actually willing to answer the question. You see, sometimes change happens quick. God does it. It's beautiful. It happens fast. And other times, things take years and years. And There's a mysterious journey that Jesus takes us on in the work of transformation. Paul continues on and says this. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who's going to rescue me? Jesus is going to rescue me. He says, so then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, I just want you to sit in that for just a minute. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sit in there. That's like, like a little bite of key lime cheesecake on the tongue just like slowly melting around in your whole mouth. Like, mm, that's some spiritual key lime cheesecake. That's what I'm saying. That beautiful, beautiful reminder. Sometimes we just feel like, man, I can't do it. I hate it. I'm done. And Jesus wants to remind you, no, no, no. There's no condemnation to those right here. Hebrew, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit, all right, who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. In other words, there's two different laws going on. All right, one's about the rules; it's trying to do it yourself. It's it's called revision. Do enough good works, and you're going to be cool. And the other is the law of the Spirit, which is only found in faith in Christ. He says that the law was powerless to do for uh, what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. In other words, we couldn't do it, our flesh can't be perfect, so God had sent Jesus to take on flesh and be perfect for us in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Jump down with me to verse 10. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. He's like, hey, there's a choice. You can try to be perfect and do it all on your own, which is impossible, even though so many people try. Or you can figure out how to live in the spirit, faith in Jesus. Okay? So, try to do it on your own. Guarantee failure. Or, in faith, accept Christ and experience life in the spirit. A lot of times we're like, yeah, but I'm not like, becoming what I think I'm supposed to become. Well, there's two things here that I think are important to point out. Number one, don't ever forget Eyes up. Eyes up. It wasn't about you to begin with. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 5, alright, I love verse 5, those who live in the spirit will begin to desire what God desires. Eyes up. Those who live in the spirit will begin to experience or desire what the spirit desires. And then verse 11, the same powerful spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. What did that spirit do? He took a dead thing and made it alive again. The one who did that lives inside of you. Do you know what that means? All those dead, broken, busted up pieces of you that you don't like, he takes them and he fixes them and makes them right and makes them whole, breathe life back into them. Continue reading. Jump with me down to verse 22. He said this. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who gave, uh, excuse me, who have the first fruits of the spirit groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. You see, when sin entered the world, He didn't just mess us up as humans; it messed up everything. The, the earth feels it. The creation, the rocks, the rivers, the trees, the earth, the soil—and and it's crying out, "Ah, oh, it's broken, and it's not right. It's not how it's supposed to be." We feel it too, right? Yo, why isn't everything the way it's supposed to be? We feel like so much brokenness in our lives—relationships, we're doing things we don't want to do, we're not doing the things that we want to do. And we can't always fix the way that we want to fix things. And we're waiting. The whole world is waiting, desiring this. Verse twenty-four: For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In other words, look, even the earth is crying out for God to make it all right. You and I, who have by faith begun living in the Spirit, the Spirit helps us to start to desire the same things that God desires. But we still feel it, right? We're in this in-between. Keep reading. It says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know how we ought to pray. Like, sometimes like, man, I don't even know what to say, God, I'm so so frustrated with this, so frustrated with where I'm at, or I'm so frustrated with where they're at. <laughs> we often like to look yeah. at others. We don't even know what to pray. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. and He who searches our hearts knows the mind and spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Look, even when you're, like, feeling like, man, I don't even know what to say. I'm not even sure what to do. The Spirit that lives in you is crying out on your for what you need, for what you need, he knows. Love, friends, eyes up, eyes up. Verse twenty-eight, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. How many times have you heard somebody quote that to you? Like when something really bad happens, right? When Bartman stole the ball that the Cubs should have caught and won their first rally, Right? God works really good to those who love him! No! But no, he does. And quite honestly, even though we don't like hearing it, when somebody quotes it to us in the middle of a really difficult time, not like the Cubs losing the World today, like in a real difficult time, it's true. It's absolutely true. But, but we have to understand what is God working? What is he actually doing? What, what's, he, what's he desiring? Well, keep reading. This is where it actually gets important. We can't stop at verse 28. Verse 29, it says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's what God's doing it for. Even the hard things that have to us, stuff that God does not want to see us walk through. If we're willing, God can take those things, those difficulties, and he can use them to make us more like Jesus. Even our sin. You're like, what? How's that even possible? God can take our failures, our mistakes. And he can actually use those if we allow him to shape us more and more into the image of Christ. I'm not saying God likes your sin, I'm not saying God's cool with your sin. He's not. He's holy, he desires that for us. He's declared, well, we're gonna learn that in a second, that we are. But God can take anything, the difficult things, the hard things, the unfair things, he can use them to make us more like Jesus. That's the point. That's the point. All right, keep going. Ooh, friends, this is getting good. Here, come on. Work with me, work with me. Here we go. Uh, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Check it. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. You're like, oh, he said predestined. It's one of those churches. Yes, kind of, we are. All right. Some of you are like, so am I just like a pawn in this game? It doesn't even matter what I decide. God's already decided it for me. Yes. And no. Okay? Like, like both are there, okay? Like when it comes to you becoming a Christian, there's something that God has to do because a dead person can't make himself alive again. But there's also something the Bible says you gotta do because you gotta act in faith. Two sides of the same coin. So which one's right? Yes. Same thing as we continue on here, okay? The same thing is true. Uh, he talks about we're predestined and called, those he called, he also justified. Now, justified is a theological word. It's actually a law word, okay? It's like if you're standing in front of a judge and you have this huge debt and the judge says, I'm canceling the debt, it's all gone. That's justification. That's you were justified. You, uh, If you're new to the faith, okay, like this whole Christianity thing is, is newer to you, uh, you can think of it this way. Uh, justification, just as if I've never seen it. All right? Now, if you are like a theology major at one of the local Christian schools here, you think I'm a heretic right now. because like, that is not a proper definition of justification. I know, okay? Don't turn me into your theology prop. Uh, but that does help us kind of understand what justification is, what it means. Okay? Justification is a the theological word. Then he goes on after justification, that's when God does this work of saving. We are justified when we invite Christ into our lives. Alright? God justifies us. But there is uh, then something that he says after that. He says those he justified, he also glorified. Uh, what tense is the word glorified? Thank you, past tense, exactly. Here's the reality though. Justified, God, that's what happens when God declares us holy and righteous, okay? He declares us what we are. And then you have glorified. That's something that happens when we're actually perfect. With him. Are you perfect yet? (laughs) Yes, you are. (laughs) This is that yes. still struggle, still make mistakes, right? I do, you do, but God has declared us to be perfect. He sees us as perfect because God's outside of time. This is what he has declared is going to happen. So God uses it in past tense. You already are. Now, you know what happens between justification and glorification? It's a word that Paul doesn't use here, another theological word called sanctification. That's the process of getting from here to here. What God declares to what is reality. And we are here, we're in the work of sanctification. Now, a lot of times we kind of think this about how this all works itself out. Oh, well, God saves me, God does the justification, and then I do the sanctification. He saves me, and then I make myself perfect. boy, you couldn't save yourself, right? You couldn't justify, you can't transform yourself either. Again, you have a role to play. But Jesus, the Spirit, has to do the work of transformation in you. becomes, how do we actually get transformed? What does that actually look like? Well, what's the key to transformation? See, the key to transformation is not doing more, alright? Not about doing better or fighting harder, because that's usually what we think. i just got to be more disciplined. If I get up a half an hour earlier, if I spend more time praying, if I memorize more scripture, all that valuable stuff, helpful stuff, but a lot of times we think it's on us, like do. Work harder, strive more, fight better. Like, that, like, we gotta do something. That's not the key. It matters, but you didn't save yourself, you won't transform yourself. The key to transformation is believing and living in your new identity. I have a tattoo on the inside of my arm of says, Becoming What I Am. It actually comes straight out of this passage in Romans chapter 8. God has declared me glorified, righteous, holy, that's what I am. That is more true of me than what I feel or see or even experience, because God has declared it to be so. But I am still in process of becoming what I am. All of those are. Eyes up, friends. Uh, Kai, uh, my now 11-year-old, he plays soccer. <laughs> and uh, he plays defense uh, most of the time for his team. And they usually have the defenders uh, do the throwings, because they want to push the team down the field, and so the defender will run up and throw it. And so Kai winds up doing a lot of throwings, and uh, we had been working on throwings past Friday. And uh, uh, when you're young, like, you're learning how to do it, like most kids, like, they take the ball, and they want to, like, throw it, you know? Like, yeah, that's not how you throw it in. With soccer, two hands over the head, and you have to keep your feet on the ground. Most kids will do this with jump and throw like that's not that's not legal so they're teaching them like how to do it but then it gets harder when you have to keep a foot on the ground and throw and drag so i was trying to teach him like hey this is how you can get a little bit more power so he was he was uh, practicing with me on friday and he would come up uh take the ball and he would throw he would throw his head down just to get as much power as he possibly could but his throws were kind of wild and they actually weren't as strong as I know he can throw. And I was like, God, eyes up. You, you, need to, you need to look at where you're trying to throw. Look at me. Keep your eyes up when you throw. And all of a sudden, his throw started being more on target. He's hitting me right exactly where he's hitting Not only that, his throw's actually starting to become stronger. Same thing is true when you're learning how to drive a car or if you ride a motorcycle. Uh, this is a reality. Where you look is where you go. When you're driving and riding a motorcycle and you're going around a turn, if you start looking at the guardrail, rail, guess where you're going. You're supposed to look around the turn, eyes up, keep looking. Where you look is where you go, and the same thing is true for us. The key to transformation is not working harder. The key to transformation is living into your identity of who you actually are. And the way that you do that is by keeping your eyes focused on God. Look, so often we look down we're like, oh, I'm not where I want to be, and I keep messing up. But, oh. I do. I feel that way. And God's like, look up, child. Thank you. <laughs> it's a song. God wants us to look up. A lot of you are like, why does he keep yelling at us to look up at him?
1: (laughs) When I said eyes up, it wasn't about
0: you guys paying attention to me. Eyes up is paying attention to Jesus. Eyes up. Where are you focused? We've got to be focused on the one who's actually going to be able to transform us. The more we focus on him, the more we begin to recognize our identity. The more we live in the spirit. And when we live in the spirit, that actually starts to change our desires so that we have the desires of the spirit. God is the one who does the work of transformation in our hearts. Uh, I was reading. Well, let me read this Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come; the old has gone; the new is here. Friends, sit in that for a second. If anyone is in Christ; the new creation has come. That's who you are. That's who you are. If you were one of the gals, I don't even know if you're if, if you're here from last week. You're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That is who you are. That is more true of you than what you might feel or experience. And the more that we begin to recognize our identity and live into it, the more that work of transformation begins to happen. Uh, I was reading a book called You Can Change by Tim Chester. Uh, He's a pretty intelligent pastor, theologian, dude. And he said these four things, four helpful thoughts about transformation that I want to share with you before we close. Uh, number one, he just says, first, growing in holiness is not sad, dutiful, drudgery. It's about joy. It's about joy. And friends, I think this is so important. I'm not saying that uh, it's always easy, okay? But growing in holiness, being transformed, it's about joy. The more we live into that, the more we discover that God's table is better than the city's table. Uh, that, that's our reality. We basically have two feasts, two banquets that we have the opportunity to eat from, all right? We've got a table over here, right? It's filled with, like, nutty bars and crack fries and ho and, you see what I did there? And then you've got the table of the spirit, and it's healthy stuff. And at first, you're like, I don't like salads, until somebody makes you a really good salad, with some of the little cranberries and things, right? I was saying, like, ooh, that sounds pretty good. Right, maybe at first you're like, oh, I don't really like salmon, so you have somebody make you eat some salmon. Woo! Here's the reality by eating from this table. A lot of times we think it's going to bring us joy. And for a moment it does. But what happens when you binge out on Little Debbie's? <laughs> ooh, it's great for about half an hour. And then you start feeling nasty and sick and like you don't like how you feel or look and your joints start getting achy. And what happens when you eat healthy? Well, at first you're like, ah, nutty bars, i good. And the more you do, the more you start to realize, no, actually, I'm starting to crave. This is actually good, ooh, I feel good. It's not about drudgery, it's about joy. Second, change is about living in freedom. We're actually free to be the people that we desire to be, that we want to be, that we're supposed to be. That's, that's what transformation is about. Third, change is about discovering the delight of knowing and serving God. Right? Pursuing holiness means recognizing that the pleasures of sin are empty and temporary, while God is inviting us to a magnificent, truthful, and rich uh, table that lasts forever. And fourth, becoming like Jesus is something that God gives to us. It's not an achievement that we offer to you. And I think this is so important to understanding transformation. It's a gift that God gives to us. And when we got our eyes up, we begin to recognize what he desires, and we begin to desire it ourselves. We're supposed to stay attached to the vine. And when we do that, that's where food comes. Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, man... I don't know, like, that's all nice words and stuff. And it just kind of seems like words because, like, I wanted it, but I don't see it in my simple thing to you would be to say, eyes up, eyes up, know who it is that you're looking at. Because Paul gives us a beautiful, amazing way to end our time. If we keep reading in verse 31, he says this, What then shall we say in response to these things? God has declared us to be holy declared that we are glorified when we give our life to him. What shall we say in response to all that? If God's for us, who can be against us? Yo, man, and you can't even be against yourself on that. Like if God's for you, he's got you. He knows what you need. Look, if God's for you, who can be against you? Nobody. Eyes up, son. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He's like, look, if he was willing to give his own son to come down to earth, and put on human flesh, and be willing to die on a cross, if he was willing to do that, you don't think he'll give you what you need to transform the person he desires you to be? And he also said, well, God has started, God is going to finish. Friends, eyes up. Eyes up. God wants to transform your life and he promises that he will do so. We play a role. We absolutely play a role. And I'm going to talk a little bit about what it means to kind of change our lives next week. Alright? If you're like, man, I don't am loving the life that I'm at, we're going to be looking at a passage in 1 Timothy that talks about how we're supposed to handle uh, our resources and why it's important to live a life that matters. How we change. So come on out next week. But before start thinking about next week. We're going to have a time to close right now and I'm just going to put up a, a really short prayer and we're going to pray. And you're going to sit and listen to God and talk to God. That's all that it is right now. So go ahead and uh, you don't even have to close your eyes because it's going to be able the screen. So I want you to just kind of sit in each sentence, alright? So let's pray. Dear God, please transform me and help me to want to do my part. Sit in that room. Ask God to do what he wants to do already, what he's promised to do. Ask him for the courage to do what Keep that next right, sir. God, help me hate sin, especially <laughs> <with> the <laughs> sin I tend help me to love you even the parts of you that I don't understand. And God, help me to believe that what you say about me is more real and true than what I think, experience, and feel myself. Thank you for so